Introduction to the Decoration of Houses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clatt. The Decoration of Houses by Edith Wharton and Ogden Codman. Introduction. Rooms may be decorated in two ways, by a superficial application of ornament totally independent of structure, or by means of those architectural features which are part of the organism of every house, inside as well as out. In the Middle Ages, when warfare and brigandage shaped the conditions of life, and men camped in their castles much as they did in their tents, it was natural that decorations should be portable, and that the naked walls of the medieval chamber should be hung with arras, while a ciel, or ceiling, of cloth, stretched across the open timbers of its roof. When life became more secure, and when the Italian conquests of the Valois had acquainted men north of the Alps with the spirit of classic tradition, proportion and the relation of voids to masses gradually came to be regarded as the chief decorative values of the interior. Portable hangings were in consequence replaced by architectural ornament. In other words, the architecture of the room became its decoration. This architectural treatment held its own through every change of taste, until the second quarter of the present century. But since then various influences have combined to sever the natural connection between the outside of the modern house and its interior. In the average house the architect's task seems virtually confined to the elevations and floor-plan. The designing of what are to-day regarded as insignificant details, such as mouldings, architraves, and cornices, has become a perfunctory work, hurried over and unregarded, and when this work is done, the upholsterer is called in to decorate and furnish the rooms. As the result of this division of labour, House decoration has ceased to be a branch of architecture. The upholsterer cannot be expected to have the preliminary training necessary for architectural work, and it is inevitable that in his hands form should be sacrificed to colour, and composition to detail. In his ignorance of the legitimate means of producing certain effects, he is driven to all manner of expedients, the result of which is a piling up of heterogeneous ornament a multiplication of incongruous effects, and lacking, as he does, a definite first conception, his work becomes so involved that it seems impossible for him to make an end. The confusion resulting from these unscientific methods has reflected itself in the lay mind, and house decoration has come to be regarded as a black art by those who have seen their rooms subjected to the manipulations of the modern upholsterer. Now, in the hands of decorators who understand the fundamental principles of their art, the surest effects are produced, not at the expense of simplicity and common sense, but by observing the requirements of both. These requirements are identical with those regulating domestic architecture, the chief end in both cases being the suitable accommodation of the inmates of the house. The fact that this end has in a measure been lost sight of is perhaps sufficient warrant for the publication of this elementary sketch. 
no study of house decoration as a branch of architecture has for at least fifty years been published in England or America. And though France is always producing admirable monographs on isolated branches of this subject, there is no modern French work corresponding with such comprehensive manuals as Davillet's Cours d'Architecture or Isaac Ware's Complete Body of Architecture. The attempt to remedy this deficiency in some slight degree has made it necessary to dwell at length upon the strictly architectural principles which controlled the work of the old decorators. The effects that they aimed at, having been based mainly on the due adjustment of parts, it has been impossible to explain their methods without assuming their standpoint, that of architectural proportion, in contradistinction to the modern view of house decoration as superficial application of ornament. When house decoration was a part of architecture, all its values were founded on structural modifications. Consequently, it may seem that ideas to be derived from a study of such methods suggest changes too radical for those who are not building, but are merely decorating. Such changes, in fact, lie rather in the direction of alteration than of adornment. But it must be remembered that the results attained will be of greater decorative value than were an equal expenditure devoted to surface ornament. Moreover, the great decorators, if scrupulous in the observance of architectural principles, were ever governed, in the use of ornamental detail, by the Suffrazini, the wise moderation of the Greeks, and the rooms of the past were both simpler in treatment and freer from mere embellishments than those of to-day. Besides, if it be granted for the sake of argument that a reform in house decoration, if not necessary, is at least desirable, it must be admitted that such reform can originate only with those whose means permit of any experiments which their taste may suggest. When the rich man demands good architecture, his neighbours will get it too. The vulgarity of current decoration has its source in the indifference of the wealthy to architectural fitness. Every good moulding, every carefully studied detail, exacted by those who can afford to indulge their taste, will in time find its way to the carpenter-built cottage. Once the right precedent is established, it costs less to follow than to oppose it. In conclusion, it may be well to explain the seeming lack of accord between the arguments used in this book and the illustrations chosen to interpret them. While much is said of simplicity, the illustrations used are chiefly taken from houses of some importance. This has been done in order that only such apartments as are accessible to the traveller might be given as examples. Unprofessional readers will probably be more interested in studying rooms that they have seen, or at least heard of, than those in the ordinary private dwelling. And the arguments advanced are indirectly sustained by the most ornate rooms here shown since their effect is based on such harmony of line that their superficial ornament might be removed without loss to the composition. Moreover, as some of the illustrations prove, the most magnificent palaces of Europe contain rooms as simple as those in any private house, and to point out that simplicity is at home even in palaces is perhaps not the least service that may be rendered to the modern decorator. End of Introduction